0: tools about how to learn to uh, not only connect with your energy, but then manage and direct your energy. Welcome to Energy Matters, exploring awakening to your authentic self and finding purpose through mind, body, and soul. With your hosts, Cody Edner and David Gandelman, brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com.
1: Welcome to Energy Matters. I'm David and I'm here with the amazing Cody Edner, who actually has been my teacher many times over. Cody has been teaching clairvoyance and meditation for over 30 years. Uh, I won't date him, <laughs> I but uh, you welcome, did. Cody.
0: I was, I was actually yeah. two when I
1: started. So. <laughs> you too. Yeah. two. Yeah. And uh, that would make us the exact same age, actually. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And you you teach some amazing work. You teach hands-on healing, you teach channeling, transmediumship, you teach beginning levels of meditation, clairvoyance. Uh, you've been the director of uh, one of the Berkeley Psychic Institutes. You taught at schools like Ascle- Asclepion, and um, you have more experience than most people on this planet when it comes to meditation and clairvoyance, and so it's awesome that uh, I get the chance to interview you today. And why don't we just start with um, where, when was the first moment you noticed in your life where you're like, wow, I have a, a certain ability or a certain kind of spiritual awareness? When did that hit you? Obviously, it must have started early since you've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah,
0: that's, uh, thanks for that introduction, David. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just sit here and kind of bask in that glow for a moment before I yeah, put a yeah, crown on I your blow, head. Before I, I kind of blow it by talking.
1: So. Co- Cody's one of those senior teachers, you know. Where you're one of those people where the teachers go to the teacher, 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 you're the of teacher's teachers. Teacher's yes, teacher. Yes. Yeah, that means you're really old and wise. You're you're kind of like Dumbledore. Oh God, you're making
0: this harder and harder. <laughs>
1: No, but but really, where did you, how did you start with um, with your path and with being interested in meditation and all of all of the uh, energy work? That yeah, you Yeah, and,
0: and that's a really great question. I you know I cannot necessarily point to any one like moment or uh, one day where I thought, oh wow, I'm you know psychic. But when I look back, there's a number of things that that happened that. Um, Kind of led me in that direction. Certainly, there was there's an interest, right? So there's always been an interest in something a little bit uh, mystical or mysterious. But I even when you were a kid, even when I was a kid, um, th- like so, do you mean like ghosts or? Um, yeah, ghosts or just um, anything spiritual, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, wow. so there's a couple of different points that really uh, led me. Ultimately, to pursue meditation, uh, energy awareness, and um, intuition development. And one of the first ones is that actually, the first time I got a reading, and that I was about 14. I think it was on my 14th birthday, in fact, because I was um, wow. out with my aunt. She was taking me out to lunch and out for a day of shopping, my crazy aunt. You know, we all have one of those.
1: <laughs> Who takes you for a psychic reading right, on your birth- right, 14th exactly. birthday 14th uh, birthday?
0: We, <laughs> we were out shopping and uh we were in uh, Boise, Idaho of all places. And uh this would be in back in um oh gosh, 80, 81, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um and she says, Hey, we we were in a bookstore and there was a psychic up in the uh second floor, and she says, Oh, do you want to get a psychic reading for your birthday? And I said, sure, that sounds great. And um, so she wanted to get a reading, too. So she got one first, and I sat in and watched um, her reading. And uh, it was kind of interesting. I was watching uh, the reader do a reading. It was my first uh, experience with that. And at one point, I realized I was reading right along with her. I was kind of thinking in my head and seeing everything that she was seeing uh, right as she said it or before she said it. And that was one of the first times that I really clicked that maybe I was psychic. And then I got a reading. And essentially, the reading was was really great. But my question, um, and I didn't realize that this was my question until years later when I found the tape. About 10 years later, I found oh, wow. the tape and I re-listened to it. And this was after I had trained and been reading for a number of years. And so I'm listening to this tape, and, and I'm going, wow, this, this lady was a really pretty good reader. She was a palm reader. And uh, I had some great information. And then she asked me if I had any questions. And I heard this little voice chirp in, and I only had one question, and it was, how do I develop my psychic ability? Mm. Oh, so out of all the
1: questions you could have asked, of am I going right. to be rich? Who? What am I going to grow up to be or do? Or
0: uh, yeah, you asked, yeah. how can I develop my psychic or abilities? Or girls? I mean, I, you know, I was 14. I could have asked about girls. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I asked was, how do I develop my psychic wow. abilities? <laughs> um,
1: and uh, did she say that'll be another $10? Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, is she had a, a really. Kind of an interesting answer in retrospect because she didn't know that was the thing that Hmm. um, she couldn't answer because she had the gift, right? She grew up as a psychic and she had the gift and she just started to read people, but she had no idea how uh, it worked or how to... Uh, grow or develop in your uh, abilities with awareness and intuition. And that's a little different than what you teach now, right?
1: Because she had no tools in a certain sense.
0: Right. She simply just had the gift to see, right? Mm-hmm. And so she she may have had some type of meditation practice or some kind of an awareness practice that she used to heal herself or clean out. But in terms of uh, giving someone direction about how to just start from scratch and and learn, to develop in their psychic awareness or their intuitive awareness, she didn't really have an answer. And that was her answer to me was that, um, you know, was basically she just kind of skirted around my question. And she just talked about it being more important right now to develop your um, intellectual and uh, analytical side. And, um, but she really mm. didn't know, you know, how, ha- but that, unfortunately, that never developed. Right, did it? right. Um, Just kidding. Um, but that question really didn't get answered until I found um, what what you mentioned earlier, the what we call BPI or the Berkeley Psychic Institute. So, back in the seventies and into the eighties, uh, there was a training center in, in the area where I grew up in Northern California that was a place to learn about how to tap into connect with your intuitive uh, awareness and start to open up to your clairvoyance and it was wow. rooted in uh you know energy awareness and meditation so there were tools to meditate with that would move you into a, a space to start to become aware of this you know other aspect of what's going on in the world this unseen world that we all know influences the world and influences our relationships to some extent. I mean, most of us uh, can walk into a room and kind of feel the temperature of that room. We can kind of feel the energy of the room, we might say. Mm-hmm. Now, we may not couch that in uh, clairvoyant terms. We may not see it. We may not say, oh, I see the energy looks like this and it means this. That's, that's a reading, but... We walk in and we, we can feel if it feels up or if it feels low or if it feels fun mm-hmm. or if it feels serious and and we know that right away, and that changes or affects our uh space and our mood um, very often, right and we all can feel energy like most people have had the experience of of standing online somewhere and and you feel something in the on your back and you turn around and someone's staring at you. You know, what are yeah. you feeling? You're feeling their that's, energy. Yeah, that's why I don't leave right. the house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's why you do. <laughs> I don't want anybody psychically creeping on me when I'm uh, online at the store. <laughs> and just to go back a moment, Cody, so it's kind of interesting that this whole uh, kind of clairvoyant movement started in Berkeley in the 70s. And it's Berkeley's also where those protests happened and uh, in the 60s, and there was this whole kind of revolution and opening up of love and peace and the entire hippie movement. And that kind of all kind of birthed in Berkeley, didn't it? In California. And it's interesting that that happened. And then this, psychic thing happened there with the Berkeley School, because that led to many schools opening. And um, I I think I read once on their website, over 300,000 people had learned just from their schools. So it, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? There's some kind of connection with that whole kind of peace and love, spiritual opening and unfoldment that happened in the 60s and then in the 70s. This school came out of that. And then many schools came out of that. And that's where you got your training and ended up being your career, right? And then, uh, and now it seems to be morphing into something else. But maybe, I don't know, what What was your perspective of when it was all happening or how all that's connected? And where is it leading now? How is it different than it was in the 70s?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Now, I kind of missed the free love part of the whole game, you know, the 60s. I'm not that old. Um I I came in. Tell yeah. us tell us what
1: World War One was like, Cody. That's right. Which side were you on during the
0: Civil War? I really what, want to
1: know. What color was Moses' beard? Uh,
0: so you are dating me. Um uh, so the, but that is a is a very good question. But you know, if you, you look at the Bay Area and the San Francisco Bay Area in Berkeley, um in that area, there there was a lot of uh you know, awakening new thought, new new ways of looking at things happening there. And it was really a place mm-hmm. for the birth of a lot of um, different types of new consciousness, I guess we could call it. And and I think that came out of a lot of what, like what you're saying, a lot of the, um, whatever you want to call it, hippie movement, uh, the protest, the, the kind of Awareness that people had that that things needed to change that we needed to change the mm-hmm. society and change our views um in a way that um maybe was less uh controlling and and less oppressive and a little bit more open and free and of course the their the first expression of that was that i don't know if it's the first but there was the big component of that was the the um the sexual revolution obviously. Uh, because that mm. was probably one of the aspects of the individual that was really oppressed, um, and we're still creating changes on that level in our society right now. It's well, it's, I think it wasn't
1: until the 1960s that we found out women were able to have orgasms,
0: right? It's, right, right. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was when they—that was when the news broke, and then that—that's why everything just.
1: <laughs> what the hell? everyone's like what the hell what the oh heck? my god we might as well open a psychic school in Berkeley.
0: <laughs> and <laughs> but but that psychic school came out of um yeah you know an individuals and and there were probably many people in this uh, arena because there's always been uh spiritualist groups and psychic groups and the difference was coming out of the 60s was all of those things that used to be somewhat secret societies and they used to be structured in a way that you had to hang around them for a while, you kind of had to be invited in, you know, you had to pay your dues. And then way later down the road, uh, you kind of, you got the secret, right? You got the answer. So they were always Mm -hmm. more of a closed society or a closed group. Uh, So it's not like awareness of energy or... The exploration of mysticism or the occult is new, but what I think changed, and what seemed to really change in the 60s going into the 70s, was this um, energy of of secrecy. This energy that only a certain few could know things, and everybody else was just went yeah. along. And so, this school that came out in in Berkeley, it it kind of uh, flipped the script a little script a little bit because suddenly everything that you needed to know was on the front end. So the minute you walked in the door, mm-hmm. the assumption was that everybody is psychic to some extent, right? Everybody has that within them because it's just part of our human nature to be able to sense energy and to feel it. And to take that to the next level is simply to learn a skill about how to interpret what you're picking up, right? How to how to articulate yeah. what it is you're noticing. Whether you're noticing it through a sense of feeling it or having an intuition or seeing it as a clairvoyant does, um, the trick is how do, you ar- how do you put that into words? How do you articulate that unseen mm. world and begin to communicate it? Um, so this mm-hmm. school that started, uh, started as what, what the um, originator called, uh, co- kind of coined his, his phrase was a psychic kindergarten. Uh, which meant it was a safe place to come in and play with this aspect of the human human nature, the ability to work with energy to heal or to uh, read and give insight, uh, to connect with spirit and uh, get information from the other side, so to speak. So that was kind of the impetus of that school was to have a place uh, where it was safe and fun to play with this uh, aspect of um, you know of self, yeah. and let's go back for a moment to uh,
1: a couple things. One, secret societies, because this is pretty interesting for most people. And I'm taking a, a group a retreat to France in uh, two weeks, where we're going to be exploring the uh, secrets of the Knights Templar, which you know started you know over a thousand years ago and morphed into all these different groups and. I think there's some kind of correlation maybe to some of those groups and to where Berkeley came from. I'm sure a lot of people are interested when you started talking about secret societies and how that turned into a a clairvoyant school. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that connection and where that all comes from. Are you you a Knights Templar and... Do you have a swim? right? I'm a uh, <laughs> I'm a member order of the Illuminati. Yeah. No. actually, Cody. Uh, for you guys, probably don't know. Cody is an um, amazing karate. Um, I don't know what the term is, master or uh, <laughs> no. Just a black belt, yeah. not a master. Okay. <laughs> so not only could he give you a healing, but he could choke you out with his black belt. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you mean when you say secret Schools or society, and what that whole structure was about, and how that changed.
0: Yeah, and and I I have not been in a secret society personally. Uh, you know, well, that's what everyone who
1: says <laughs> who's in a secret society says. But okay, I guess we'll take your word for it. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, yeah. Well,
0: I I think part of the uh, in, in terms of the school that that we're referencing and talking about the the person who originated that was. Uh, you know, a Rosicrucian, a Freemason. He had been part of different spiritualist groups all of his life. He didn't actually create his uh, structured center uh, until he was in his fifties. So he, and yet he had always, and that was, uh, that was Louis and he had always been okay. um, psychic. So he'd always seen energy and auras uh, as a young child, as did I, and and, and but it took him into his fifties to find. You know, his his kind of way to open that door for other people and to create it. And, and the point of my story of my first reading was she didn't really have that answer for me. And I found that answer when I found BPI four years later. I walked in the door and someone gave, you know, connected with my energy and gave me a read of my energy and talked about um, how to turn that on in oneself. And I just knew that was... You know, I'd found that answer, basically. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. our answers aren't something that can be uh, told to us, per se. It's, it's They lead us to a place where we, uh, you know, step into a practice or have an epiphany about ourselves. And, and that's
1: a, I mean, in clairvoyant readings is a huge topic in and of itself where a lot of people are probably like, whoa, what, what does he mean by all that? But let's go back to the secret society first again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh the original teacher, your teacher Lewis, was in some of these groups, and he learned from them. And then what 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 happened there? Because that always seems to be shrouded in mystery. The mystery schools are shrouded in mystery.
0: Yeah, it's funny how that works,
1: isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so What's the secret handshake, Cody? What yeah, happened and, there?
0: <laughs> well, from what his his stories and, and what he shared is he, he was a Rosicrucian so he studied in that order for many years and the Rosicrucians
1: in, in some form came from the Knights Templar they, yeah or so the story
0: goes or some variation not quite sure I should know because we're about yeah, to go should have read up on that <laughs> um and he was a Freemason and you know I think a 33rd order or whatever he'd, he'd been at for years and years and years so he was at the and his 33rd I order think that's, is that the I think highest? that's the highest but uh I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, he's, he dabbled here and there uh, in different uh, spiritualist-type groups. You know, he was in spir- spiritualist groups that were uh, into uh, channeling and mediumship, and he was into different spiritualist groups that uh, were a little bit into you know, aliens and just kind of the mysteries in the world that, that are out there. Oh. So he, he kind of gathered information and at mm-hmm. one point it all came together uh to where he decided that one of the things in all of these different groups that uh wasn't um oh conducive to to you know bringing it to the mainstream was that they were all secret societies they were all had some kind of barrier to entry where you had to be perfect before you could do it versus coming in in that idea of kindergarten where it's the place to uh, explore and learn and make mistakes and, and make those mistakes uh, safely. Because one of the mm-hmm. difficulties with opening up one's uh, intuitive awareness and opening up to that aspect of them, themselves is that it isn't uh, always comfortable and safe You know, to open up if you don't have some kind of a support group or you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you can kind of get a little yeah. bit in, in trouble. Uh, psychically speaking, and what usually happens is you just then turn it right back off. Right, you start to open up, something happens that's a little bit uh, scary, or you don't have explanation for, and then you just tend to to try to turn it back off. And do you do you think that these a lot of these societies and groups
1: they kept it secret for that reason, or for a reason of safety, or was it just an elitist thing? And I I. Didn't, Don't even know. I didn't even know that some of these groups, like the Freemasons, were teaching spirituality or, um or clairvoyance or any of this stuff. So is that what happens in the 33rd level of Freemasonry? Like the first few levels you like make business acquaintances and then all of a sudden you're uh, you're doing psychic work when you get up into the higher levels of those organizations? <laughs> is, that, is that what's going on I, I do
0: I don't think that they have.
1: Uh, Are you th- saying Ben Franklin was secretly a psychic <laughs> ninja? <laughs> I, <laughs> because he helped start the Freemasons in right, America, Right. right? And then, and then yeah. your teacher, Lewis, is part of that group, and he takes some of these tools, and he, he's maybe the first one to bring it out into the public. And so two questions. One is that first question I asked, uh, did they keep a secret to because a safety re- concern of some kind, or you have to be at a certain level of maturity to learn these tools?
0: Well, why don't we start with that yeah. one, and then I'll ask um, you the second one. And, and I don't think that, like the Freemasons, I don't, they don't practice, um, you know, psychic energy work as far as I know, okay. they have information, it seems that is, uh, somewhat spiritual and somewhat about how to, to live your life. And they have information. Um, I think that they transmit through certain, uh, different ceremonies and rituals and types, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think they have a little bit more, uh, free thinking type of, uh, a perspective than, than maybe other aspects of uh, religion and different things like that. But I don't think they teach what we're talking about, like formal tools. The Rosicrucians now are, they have quite a, a doctrine that I haven't really explored deeply that's pretty spiritual. I mean, this it's fairly well known, known as a spiritual um, kind of a doctrine, same with the Gnostics. Uh, a lot of these mm-hmm. different uh, societies, one of the things we might consider is that, uh, you know, there is such a thing as um, mysticism, Christian mysticism, right? So there's Christian religion out there that studies the Bible specifically. And then there's different sects of um, kind of Christian ideal that borders more on the mysticism side of of that religion, of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of these different teachings, like the Gnostics or Rosicrucians, um, they're Christian, but in the mysticism realm of Christianity, exploring the mystery. So there is and, energy awareness in that. I don't think there's yeah. sit down and read you read your energy um, practice necessarily in that. And do you think that um, or
1: do you know if any of these groups um, were angry or upset with Lewis when he started teaching it to the masses? Because I wasn't uh, alive yet when it started, but apparently when the Berkeley Psychic Center was going in the beginning, there was thousands of students there and huge uh, lecture halls of people. And here he is teaching all these apparently kind of secret uh, tools and ancient spiritual teachings from some of the groups that he had been a part of. do Did any? Was there any backlash from that? Was there like some secret organization that wanted to get him for it?
0: <laughs> not not <laughs> gave, that I know of. He <laughs> gave away
1: <laughs> the Sheikh. We must find him and tickle him. Not that I know of. No, I'm not aware. <laughs> okay, of that. there was never anyone tailing you guys. No. Or anything. Uh-uh. <laughs> okay. So these secret organizations didn't really, they don't have any teeth, I guess. They just kind of, he, after a thousand years, he took their secrets and shared (laughs) them. And they were like, well, it's Berkeley, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happened. I always thought there would have been a bigger kind of reverberation of ultimately when someone let out all the secrets of the Rosicrucians and Freemasons. Yeah,
0: I don't know that he (laughs) took their secrets per se. I think in learning that, in, in studying mysticism and the occult all of his life and being, uh someone who saw energy and auras himself he simply came to a place to be able to uh, articulate how he saw energy working and to teach people tools to be able to to manipulate and work with their own energy to open up mm-hmm. to their clairvoyance um so i think yeah. he brought something new to the scene i don't i don't think he necessarily took the secrets per se but one of the stories he used to tell of why he decided to open a um, a psychic kindergarten was he was uh, in, I think it was a Rosicrucian order uh, one day, and he they, there was some doctrine he was reading or some information about the astral planes, um, and he asked one of the higher-level people how many astral planes there are, how many levels to the astral plane are there.
1: And the astral is like the dream time. And
0: the astral is like the dream time. So, so in mm-hmm. the uh, mysticism in the occult, there is a, a kind of a stratification of that dream time space into different levels of energy and experience. And and so he simply asked someone, well, how many levels are there? And and the answer he got back, their attitude was kind of like, you know, psh, like you don't know how stupid are you, right? And mm-hmm. and so then the answer is there's 144. So how was he supposed to know that? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know. So he's like, well, how can a person learn and uh, grow and explore in um, this realm of uh, awareness and energy if if the attitude in most of these groups is that uh, you know you're stupid and you don't know anything? Um, and that mm-hmm. was his story about why he. Uh, in part decided to create it as a uh, psychic kindergarten um rather than a school of mastery, right calling it that on the get go because we all have to have a place to go where it's safe to not know anything and to explore something new and to have fun and make mistakes and uh and then you master it later right um and and part of the the block that can happen in spirituality is. Uh, trying to rise to that uh, uh, picture of perfection and trying to be perfect uh, as you start yeah. to open up, that doesn't allow anything to happen. And so, if I'm trying to get into a school of mastery, you know, what's what's the bar for that? What's the expectation? Do I have to become something I'm not? Do I have to be better than who I am? Do, do you need to have a mustache? Right. <laughs> <laughs> How do I dress to be a master? Right? Yeah.
1: Uh, so and you know there's so much attraction to these kind of mystical schools and secret societies i mean the like the dan brown books and the amount of literature around the illuminati and the Knights Templar and all these schools, and everyone wants to know kind of their deep spiritual secrets. And I think what Lewis did was he brought it out into the world, but also when you get deeper into it, you recognize on some level that those secrets are inside of you. They're not inside of some organization. Maybe there's an organization of people and teachers who can help you and have tools to teach you to help you find those answers inside yourself. So it's almost like the, the mystery schools, there's a little bit of a, a bust there. Cause when you even if you were to go into one and really find out all their secrets, ultimately they would teach you any of the real ones. I think anyway or good ones ultimately they would teach you You have to go inwards and and find those answers for yourself. And maybe they'd have some great teachings on how to do that. And I think we live in a world where you don't have to be in a secret society to get those teachings anymore, right? I mean, 500 years ago, almost nobody knew how to read, right? <laughs> and right, Nobody, only the priest knew how to, nobody knew how to read. And now, uh, you can go on the internet and you could download every great, you didn't need to download it. You can just go and read every great spiritual text in the history of the world all in one place for free. And you can just walk through them all. And so the world is radically shifted from... Then to now. And so these secret societies, yeah, it seems like maybe in the 60s and 70s there was that shift, and uh, Lewis in Berkeley was part of creating that shift and bringing it more out into the open. It was
0: a pretty interesting topic. I, I think it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, really. and I, I think, you know, you're, you're really right. And back to a point you made earlier about the secret societies and why they are secret and why they exist, and was that trying to protect people? And I think it's yeah. more about what you just mentioned is more about the control of the information and Mm -hmm. back hundreds of years ago when, you know, only a few people could read and maybe only the the priest or the the spiritual leader could read, they had all the information. And so they would create a society around that information and keep it secret. And, and maybe to keep it from being, uh, you know, persecuted by the church. Sure, there's some protectionism in that. Um, And and you're right. Nowadays, it's it's very, very different. And there isn't, uh, I'm sure there's, I mean, there still are secret societies out there. But in this free or total access to information today, it creates an entirely different Um, dynamic where, like you say, you or I or any of us could go and find and read all of the ancient texts and information. Um, And and that idea that in some school or in some um, order of a society, a spiritualist type group, that somehow the answer is, you know, way at the end, And you have to work really hard. You have to kind of jump through all these hoops to get there. That's a really old idea. Uh, One of the things that Lewis changed, and we used to kind of say this, which is a horrible sales pitch, but uh, we used to say 80% of what you need to know will teach you uh, in med one, in the first meditation class. Now, to master Hmm. that and understand what that really means uh, takes years, right? I can tell you the, Mm -hmm. the spiritual answer. Right now, it's 42, the answer to life. And, <laughs> and to understand the meaning of that takes a little bit of uh, exploration. So, so what yeah. those secret societies really had, uh, I think you're right, or any group that has information, is they have a, a way to open that up or open up to what's inside of you, the answer that's locked inside of you. And so through the practice, you start to gain insight Uh, about your answers and information. Um, At Hmm. least a school that really works to promote growth, a school that just tells you here is the answer um, may or may not uh, align with you. In other words, you may or may not be able to use that answer. But a school or a person that shares with you how to turn inward and look inward in a way uh, that allows you to go deeply inward through uh, meditation being our primary Uh, way to access those inner answers uh, and then lead you to the place of awareness to connect with and begin to open up to and and understand those answers as they arise from within that's you know that's the idea behind it and
1: and i love all the tools and structure i mean i've taken so many of your classes and you know there's almost something for everyone's temperament. So for example, some people, they're more, they're healers. So you teach a really amazing hands-on healing program that I got to take. That's a couple years long. Some people are really into intuitive reading um, and then they could explore themselves that way. Some people are into channeling, they can explore themselves that way. And I love that because there's, I remember when I did my training, I looked around at the people in my class and I thought, oh my God, this couldn't be a more diverse group of misfits. It's like the Avengers, almost like everyone is so different. Like one lady was, um, uh, an air force pilot and she could probably snap me like a twig. Uh, one kid was like 17, a little annoying kind of nerd. Uh, there was a woman in her 40s who was a teacher, everybody was so different from such different backgrounds. It was so amazing. And at first I was in so much resistance to them because I was like, oh, I've been studying spirituality for so many years and you guys are like beginners. And and it was great to watch them over the years all develop uh, into their own selves rather than into something like Where you know, you see some schools where everyone comes out the same and they're wearing the same clothes and they say the same words and they act the same way and they have the same values, whereas in the kind of clairvoyant tradition that you've teach, I've noticed, and that I teach, is that everyone comes out more themselves rather than more like each other at the end. So it's not pumping out kind of, you know, identical minions, but you're going in there and discovering yourself more and more. And just quickly, a a great story for me, when I was in India, I went to a Zen, it was like a Zen monastery kind of place uh, up in the mountains and I was meditating and I had this explosive incredible kind of enlightening meditation and then the next day sat down to meditate and it was gone and i was a total wreck and i went to the guru there the teacher the zen the zen master who had a really nice gold watch by the way i was like man that watch is shiny (laughs) (laughs) and uh and i asked him and his only instruction was uh just keep meditating watch your breath which was fine, but for the next few weeks or however long it was, there was no instruction. And I just sat and I sat and I sat and, you know, it was good for me, but ultimately there was no tools, there was no instruction, there was no direction. And I was like, how long can I go like this? There's there's no direction. And I found that in a lot of places. And the one place that I've always noticed there's so much direction is kind of with the clairvoyant work that you teach and that I, I work in. And um, I've noticed that just so... It takes the diversity of people and it brings it out rather than uh, homogenizes it into. Watch your breath. Do this one technique, and we'll all
0: come out the same enlightened way, like a piece of toast. You know, you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, and and we don't um, look the same. I mean, we don't all shave our heads, and we don't wear, uh, you know, you, same colored robes, or anything you, don't like <laughs> no, you don't need a mustache to get in. No, you don't need a mustache. No, only if you want to become a sheriff. Okay. Because, yeah. I'm the sheriff of the psychic school <laughs> <laughs> but but you're right. it isn't about um becoming something that you're not at, in in any way, shape or form. It is all about learning to connect with and tap into uh you know that deeper, true authentic self that we all know we have within, but we don't know, necessarily know how to be that in the world, mm-hmm. and the tools and awareness are ways to. Clear out the different blocks or different um, you know what in the school we would call lies, but we might just call uh, misconceptions or or false beliefs that don't serve us anymore. so I might have a belief that I'm not good enough, and somehow that belief rooted in me and anytime there's something new in my universe um, or you know in my world that uh, I'm confronted with there's this background um, little bit of a invalidation this is I'm not good enough to mm-hmm. you know handle this and that's a false belief that's a lie because we're all good enough to rise to an occasion and survive or we wouldn't be here and we're all good enough to rise to an occasion and and in fact go beyond surviving but to uh grow through it and to thrive uh in adversity and challenge we have that ability within us so part of the the meditation path and the inner awareness path so it's not all about reading somebody else it, in fact, that's just a way to start to see how energy works, to start to see the dynamics of energetics and spirit, to start to see the uh, where we uh, the pitfalls are mm-hmm. to, to our own growth. But the real focus is that internal connectedness with oneself and opening up to becoming more of who you truly are. So through the process of learning uh to meditate working with awareness tools growing in that awareness it's all about growing in a deeper sense of knowing who you truly are mm-hmm. and not only that but being able to then look from there uh and kind of listen to your heart and uh kind of project an idea about who you really want to become you know to start to uh create and grow and and what we might say get on your path or be on your path to your highest uh calling and purpose but that really speaks to becoming who you would want to be mm-hmm. in the world and we start to move in that direction so rather than trying to become something i'm not to fit into a group uh it's a group of individuals who value uh, autonomy inner autonomy and who value each person discovering uh, kind of their true authentic self and purpose. And there are many, many groups like that these days. That's one of the, I, I would say we're in uh, kind of a spiritual renaissance right now. Yeah, uh, You know, a lot of people call it the new age, but it's not all limited to the new age and it's not all a kind of woo-woo. Um, I would say that what I teach, even though we're using words like psychic and clairvoyance and intuition, um, I would have to say it's very much, Practical intuition, practical uh, use of awareness, practical yeah. tools about how to learn to uh, not only connect with your energy but then manage and direct your energy. And manage and direct energy in both directions because some of our difficulties in the world is that we're sensitive to energy. And so I'm sensitive to uh, the energy in that room that I earlier referred to. You walk in and the energy's real low. Well, what happens to me? At that point, and I have a decision. If I have control over my energy, I might be able to laugh and maintain a high vibration. If I don't, I'll tend to um, what we call match it. I'll tend to suddenly become serious. Uh, or I walk into a situation where uh, someone's angry, and suddenly I become angry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's matching energy. And at that point, I've kind of lost control of my energy. I'm just becoming the effect. Mm -hmm. So meditation and energy awareness is about turning inward, connecting with oneself inward to the point where uh, I don't have to just become the effect of the world around me, but I uh, kind of bring, you know, who I am, uh, my authentic self, my ideas to the world and and create in the world in that way.
1: And um and you were saying, you know, it's not all woo-woo. I know like in the 60s everyone was wearing tie-dye and taking psychedelic drugs and it was very overtly kind of woo-woo. Whereas it seems like this kind of renaissance, you called it, or this time around, it's much more of, I've noted, noticed like an inner inner job that's happening. So a lot of those people in the 60s, they ended up growing up to be stockbrokers and insurance salesmen and, you know, working in the world and eventually leaving that whole kind of revolution and resistance to the man and becoming part of the system. What I've noticed this time around uh, is it's almost like that revolution's happening or evolution, I would say, more than a revolution is happening. And it's kind of more from the inside out. So you have people, they're sitting at their office, they're working in tech, and they're meditating there. You know, like Google has a place where you can go sit and meditate and be creative. And uh, the companies are bringing in wellness professionals to work with them, kind of mind-body connections. And it's becoming much more of an inside job. So you don't have to leave the world to kind of have this spiritual awakening or or grow and work on yourself. You actually do it from the inside out, wherever you are. And one of the cool things, you know, that I know about you, Cody, is like Cody is not a guy who wears crystals around his neck and is playing the sitar. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, when I when I hang out with you, you're like, okay, let's let's go grab some food and watch a baseball game. And you have a teenage daughter, so you're kind of like psychic dad. Uh, what is <laughs> what what is it like to you know? So some people just see you in this light of being a spiritual teacher, right? They only know you through your seminars and your classes and your readings and your healing work. But if they were to come to Colorado and hang out with you, I mean, what would they experience? might be something a little different than just that side of things. What is it like to kind of have that psychic ability, but also be a dad, be a husband, live in the world? What is that like?
0: Yeah, and that's a great kind of comment and point uh, that you just made, David, about it not being... um, any more spirituality used to be something that you had to uh i don't know if you had to but people did kind of withdraw from the world right or the the yeah. image of going to the mountaintop and, and meditating in the cave to find yourself type of a thing and now it's it's becoming fully integrated i think that is the the spiritual renaissance that's happening i i don't know if it's a revolution i think it's a step in evolution and it is yeah. like a renaissance and it has uh in one regard grown up and become uh a little more mature, yeah. where you know, before maybe we could say it was fighting against control, and it was uh, kind of the the angst of trying to to break out of something that we didn't really know what was um, what it was, and and now it's it's a whole different world out there. Even from when I started teaching, so I started teaching back in the in the eighties, and the idea of uh, personal space or energy awareness or being grounded those ideas you know i would come in to teach a class and and ask class how many people have heard of of grounding of of energy groundedness and uh nobody mm-hmm. in the class would ever raise their hand nowadays i i ask a, a beginning group how many people have grounded before and 90% of the people raise mm-hmm. their hand right it's it's began that not only the the kind of words but the ideas have really seeped into to our um, present culture mm-hmm. and we see them. And, and you might even see them in a, you, know, you brought up the idea of sports. You might even see, hear them. Um, you know, a, a broadcaster might say, oh, look, he looks really grounded in that move or in that yeah. uh, play that he just did, right? Or, yeah, he's really centered or he must be in the zone. He's, you know, he's really present. All these kind of ideas. Um, if you were to go back and listen to people talk, 30, 40 years ago, they didn't relay it that way, right? These are, these are like spiritual ideas, personal space ideas, energy awareness ideas that have seeped out into the world. And, and so it's becoming much more commonplace, mm-hmm. and, which is great because it opens the door to where um, Meditating Network is fine, right? Uh, now, from the business standpoint, probably the company sees that people are more effective, when, after they yeah, meditate, more right? they're more productive <laughs> yeah. and more efficient. Actually, <laughs> so they have this this kind of idea about why they would do it. Yeah. But as for an individual, I am more, you know, at peace, more connected, certainly more focused when I meditate, and I've healed myself. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, permission out there that is happening to step into the the realm of uh, learning to meditate. And meditation as a practice you know the words are one thing and having the concept is one thing but sitting down to the practice is the actual Mm -hmm. step where where you create change for yourself now we take that a step further uh, in that once you start to meditate what is it you're connecting with and becoming aware of and what are the messages and what are the insights that come from that and that's more what i would call tapping into your intuition or your clairvoyance it's it's not you're not just sitting there watching your breath and trying to think about nothing uh when you meditate with, where you're moving into a space of uh, energy awareness realigning yourself into the intuitive mind rather than the analytical thinking mind uh opening up to those subtler things that are happening in the world in you and around you and you you start to get insights uh when you let yourself open up to that awareness so mm-hmm. it's not just trying to clear your mind or be silent, it's learning how to connect with your energy and direct it in a productive way, Uh, how to direct your energy to create, Um, and certainly there's been a big flap about ideas like the law of attraction, which, you know, is only part of the story, Uh, certainly that law is there. But it's not one-sided, right? I mean, if I'm grumpy, I'll attract grumpy people. So if <laughs> I'm happy, I'll attract happy people. So this idea that, oh, I just, you know, I'm a, I am I want to just attract uh, what I want into my life and I'll get what I want and then I'll be happy, uh, that's not the whole story because... I need to look around at what's already in my life and answer the question of why am I unhappy? Because mm-hmm. I attracted that too. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I have to learn how to let go of that. I have to learn how to get neutral to that and, and release whatever caused that so that I can really reset. And, and in a way, when you start to meditate, there is a time where you're trying to kind of hit a reset button, trying to find that neutral point. Uh, to reboot or remake oneself, meditation is great. I mean, we try to do that in many different ways in our life. I think meditation is a great way to to help in that. So, if you know, if I'm stuck or if I'm feel like I'm ready to create a change, I may have to create some different um, activities and practices in my life to do that. And I think meditation is is really a, a core. component in that. It's a foundation level thing. You know, whether I'm trying to lose weight or change jobs or upgrade my relationships, you know, those all maybe require different uh, growth and different skill development. But what's the foundational things that I need to do? And I think meditation is probably the biggest foundational thing that we can bring into our life to create dramatic change. Yeah, I think Um, I
1: just heard um, Tim Ferriss on his podcast mentioned that about 85% of the people that he interviews – say they meditate. So 85% of the successful people that he interviews, he said, they all meditate. Uh, And I heard Jerry Seinfeld recently talk about how he does his uh, transcendental meditation. He's been doing it for 40 years and uh, that's his secret, how he always has Mm -hmm. enough energy to continue performing. And I I also just read that uh, at Google, 50% of their technological breakthroughs come during the 20% of their free time that their employees have to be creative. So they create that space and from that space, they create something. So definitely it's becoming incorporated more and more. But I want to go back to the one question I asked you, which was, what is it like to be a psychic dad and kind of be no- oh, normal Cody I did, I, in, in the world. Um, like when you go to the store, do you like see someone's aura and give them a healing or do you uh, <laughs> notice a ghost standing behind the teller? Uh, do, you kidding, know, yeah. do you know, do you know what the pitcher is going to throw when you go to a baseball game? I mean, how does, how does life unfold for you on a daily basis?
0: Yeah, and I was not uh, ignoring that question. (laughs) I was answering some of the things you uh, asked about prior to that. Um, Because partly, you know, I was talking a little bit about meditation and it coming into our world and it being the the foundational thing. Uh, So what that means is that it is a practice. So when you ask about how is my world different, well, partly my world starts or arises out of, you know the it's rooted in let's say the connectedness that comes from meditation. So meditation is is the the core uh aspect of where I create my day from or where I set my tone and intention from is in that practice. There's lots of other ways to do it and I certainly use uh other um things to to help do that as a um teacher and you know, run having my own business and being an entrepreneur. There's a lot of different skills, different things that, that you do to help focus your energy. But it all starts or rises out of meditation. What is uh
1: what does your daughter think about what you do? Is she like, oh my God, so, my dad, uh <laughs>
0: No, actually she um she wants she is, you know, in high school and she's a, a kid, but she also uh has interest in um, meditation and cool. she does meditate at times and she's learned some different skills and she actually uh has on numerous occasions wanted to uh come to classes and be a part of the classes that i'm teaching and travel with me and watch and and at one point she said she wanted to do what i do very cool do you ever
1: do you ever catch her in a lie and she goes oh dad i can't get anything by you Damn it!
0: <laughs> no, no. I, you know I'm a dad. She has me wrapped around her fingers, oh, okay. so I, I let all the lies slide.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> and your um, and your wife too um, has clairvoyant training.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She has the uh, knows the same the same tools, the same practice. She uses it in 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 her own life, and she uh, she's. You know she's busy. She's a principal of a school, so she is out there every day uh, working with kids. She works with elementary children. That's her passion is trying to bring a little more enlightenment and awareness into uh, the interaction with young children and the teaching um, of kids. And I work from home and I spend a lot of time, of course, on the phone, as you may well know.
1: So you're, um, like, counsel- stay, you're like stay like stay at
0: home psychic dad. I am. I am uh, literally a stay-at-home dad, and so I've been doing this this uh, spiritual practice and teaching gig for, like you say, 30 years. It's been, it's been at least, it's been about 30 years, I guess, I've been a teacher. I started learning about it a little before that, probably 32 or three years ago, wow. and then I started to teach some basic meditation a couple of years in um. So I I ran uh, a couple of different schools over my tenure. I I ran a a pretty uh, specific clairvoyant training school and program for about six years. So I was a director of that school, and then I moved over to a, a school that was uh, more of a wellness center. And I really enjoyed um, the the kind of expanded view that happened in a wellness center, and and the. Uh, Kind of view of working with people in regards to spiritual wellness mm-hmm. and finding that uh, groove in their life, finding that groove of wellness. And then after uh, I left that particular school, that was in the early 2000s, I guess. Uh, my wife became pregnant, and we kind of looked at you know where things were, and she was already on the track to be a principal and um i was you know running my own show and so it just kind of worked out that i could be the stay at home dad and take care of everything and um, and, when you... and and i wouldn't i wouldn't have it any other way in many ways i really uh, you know i already had the freedom built into my schedule cuz i just uh, work with people uh, over the phone and do counselings, uh, you know, all day long, I can schedule it whenever w- I want. So I tend to split my day. And how do you notice, you know, I, is there
1: a different, what do you notice about um, working over the phone versus working in person? Is there a difference? A lot of people have that question. Like, can you, can you do it over the phone the same as you could do it in person? Cause some things you have to do in person. It's not the same over the phone. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: And, and you know, certainly if I was doing body work on you, which I don't do, but if I was doing hands-on healing, I might want to do it in person. Mm-hmm. But over the phone, it, it is a connection and a conversation, not unlike we're having right now. And so it, it translates over the phone uh, quite well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very, very easily. And it's uh two-way interaction. And, and uh, So, you know, some of it's coaching, some of it's counseling, some of it's teaching. Um some of it is is energy reading, you know. It's an intuitive read on where someone's at. Wow. Um, and that, that translates over the phone as well. So,
1: you yeah. know, you have a, obviously a very, and I do too, because I do the same thing, very unique uh, career path. Uh, I don't know about for you. I know for me, like if I go to a dinner party and someone says, what do you do? Uh, I have about six different answers. Uh, when yes. when you meet strangers and someone, or maybe your daughter's friends, parents, someone goes, "Hey, Cody, what do you you know? What do you do for a living? I heard you work from home. Uh, how how do you answer that question with most people?"
0: Uh, it really depends on whether I want to start a conversation or oh. end a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, so you know, if I want to end the conversation, you know, I'm uh, an accountant, right? <laughs> Because <laughs> I do do my own book, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so so it really does depend on the individual and and the context. Uh, so you kind of you know, read not, the energy
1: of the person uh, to decide how much you want to share. Yeah,
0: and I'm not out proselytizing my my friend, my daughter's you know friends' parents. I don't really want to create a circle of mm-hmm. uh, meditators in that way necessarily. Um, so I I tell them that I teach meditation or work with energy, but I don't necessarily try to you know share much about that. Yeah. If they then now if they raise an eyebrow and, and they're interested, you know, if they lean forward a little bit, then I'll start to tell them about uh what I can do and what I do and where they can learn more about it. Um, yeah. But I don't I don't necessarily throw around the word psychic um in those circles um uh, just because it's similar to throwing out around the world a word like I'm a black belt, right? It has a, a preconceived picture already mm-hmm. about it that doesn't actually match what uh, it is. Yeah. So so what I'm really, if I say I'm a black belt or if I say I'm a psychic, now I've got to spend five minutes explaining what I am because I they have a different idea yeah, based absolutely. on that one picture. And that idea is formed by the media, right? So a psychic means X. And you got that idea out of movies and the media. Or Times Square,
1: you know, that kind of those big psychic signs where people go in and they drop $200,000 for relationship reading. Right. I actually was once, I went to a stand-up comedy show and I brought my mother in New York City and... Out of nowhere, the comic goes, What do you do for a living? And he points at me. And it quickly it went through my mind like, I could say I'm a teacher. And for, I don't have no idea why, but I just said, I'm a psychic. <laughs> and the, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Like nobody knew what to make out of it. The comic, you would think that was a softball. He could have knocked it out of the park. Right. I, knew, I knew you were going to say he that. Stuck or, it <laughs> he froze. He never heard that from anybody before. He froze. The room froze. People looked at me awkwardly and he went on with the show. And I realized that's the last time I'm going to say that yep. in that kind of setting. It did, <laughs> just did not work because people's picture an idea of what the word psychic means, which just means of the soul, uh, right. ability to see and what it actually means versus what people think it means is so different. Uh, there might not be another, um, career or aspect in the world where it's what people think it is versus what it is, is so different. There's that gap is so big and the taboo is so large that, um, we have an interesting time being in the world doing this kind of work. I mean, it is more and more accepted. I mean, if you live in a place like Northern California, but if you live in a place like you do Colorado Springs, uh, where most people are, you know, evangelical Christian or 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 a place where everyone's kind of very intellectual or atheist. They they really look at you strange and I, I don't know about you, I have fun with it and I, I've come to peace with it, but a lot a lot of people no. in the world haven't. You know, they're there is yeah. stigma,
0: yeah. I mean you would have been better off saying I'm a sex worker, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but they would have been less energy uh thrown at you and less sh- Weird looks on your way if you said that. (laughs) Because I'm a Psychic does kind of two things. One is there's the the preconceived idea of what it is. And if you tell someone personally, I'm a Psychic, they immediately go into what do they does he see about me?
1: Yeah, what color am you know, I? Or do you see dead people? Well,
0: or am I? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what? And and people immediately go into the secrets that they're hiding, <laughs> uh, get stimulated, and we all have secrets. That's just part of the human condition, right? We don't show the whole world all of ourselves. There's nothing well abnormal about we're that. But we're coming to an end here. Psych- but
1: why don't you share some of your
0: secrets with us? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, but that elicits fear in people, right? Is what's he going to see or say or she is going to see or say about me when you say I'm psychic? And, you know, are you reading me now? Yeah. What are you seeing now? Um, and I don't really, you know, when I'm in social settings, I'm not at, as concerned with you and your energy and your space uh, as I am with my own. Mm -hmm. So what am I doing as a psychic when I'm out in the world uh, and just kind of interacting with people um, generally, you know, speaking, friends and things? uh, I'm more focused in in questions about, you know, where is my energy? Where is my boundary? Mm -hmm. Am I grounded? So you don't care about
1: anybody else, just yourself focusing on yourself. (laughs) Right. Yeah,
0: self-centered. Being psychic is very being centered and being self-centered
1: is really the the next evolutionary step of our spiritual growth. It's all about yeah. me. No, <laughs> yeah, it's all
0: about me. Um, but but it's all about the interaction. Yeah. and so the context of where my awareness would be is on what we're interacting about, not about digging through, uh, you know, trying to find dirt on somebody as a, as a psychic. And, right, that's just a really not where we're coming from. Yeah.
1: I remember when I was, um, running a center in Hawaii and this woman called and said, I want you to do a reading on my son's boss and spy on him and tell me what he's doing. I was like, right. whoa, that's a trip. And I said, you know, we don't do that here. We teach people tools so they can learn to go inward and find their own answers. And, and uh, her response was, I don't want that. I want someone to spy on him, damn
0: it. And she hung up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a, a lady I was reading once who uh, was at an impasse where she, with her husband. She wanted to move to Florida. And he didn't. And um, so she her question that she kept asking me over and over again is, do you see us moving to Florida? And she wanted me to see it and say, Oh yeah, I do, so that she could use that against him and and you know, say, Hey, we're moving to Florida. The, the psychic said saw it. <laughs> and and the problem with being psychic is if you don't see it, you don't see yeah. it. You can't lie. If you lie, then you you shut off your own psychic ability really quickly. Mm-hmm. So you simply have to say what you see, and I didn't see it. And the more I didn't say it, because I didn't see it, the madder she was. <laughs> <felt laughs> <hard. laughs> she was paying to get ammunition to use against her husband so she could have a bit a bigger case. Uh, for why they should move. And, and I didn't see it. So I couldn't, couldn't say it.
1: I had a, that's a great story. I had a woman once ask me, can you tell me if my boyfriend is cheating on me? And, uh, I, I started giving her a reading and I said, this is strange, but are you married? She wasn't wearing a ring or anything. She goes, yeah, I'm married. And I, and I said, and you're asking me to read if your boyfriend is cheating on you. And she goes, yeah, that's right. I was like, so you're cheating on your husband and you want to know if your boyfriend's cheating on you. And she goes, yeah, that's right. And I was like, get <laughs> the hell out of here. <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, uh, so people yeah. have some trippy ideas and I think it's just part um, of it. Trippy questions. Well, trippy yeah. questions. God, I have an encyclopedia of experiences of trippy questions, which hopefully we'll get to share more podcasts that we do. And I know you yeah, do I, too. Yeah, we will. So, And we're we're about out of time here, Cody, but Wow thank you so much for coming in and letting me interview you today. And you have so much wisdom to share. And I feel like we barely touched the tip of the iceberg and we'll continue on in our next podcasts. But I think before we finish, maybe just one last question. Um, Mm -hmm. and a lot, I know this is like very sinful for you, but, um, was there one book that, uh, someone who's just starting out would be like, Hey, can I read a book that would inspire me to get into clairvoyance or meditation or spirituality? Was there ever a book that kind of inspired you? Or if it wasn't a book, maybe there was something else. There's one piece of wisdom that you can kind of hand out for somebody else to go take a look at, to inspire them.
0: Yeah, there, there was some books definitely that I read, you know, I grew up in a house that uh, we were, uh, more metaphysical oriented, right? So, so there was an openness to exploring that kind of idea. A lot of the authors back of the '80s that I, I read probably aren't around so much uh, anymore in terms of the real spiritual things. But one of the first books I read uh, that really inspired me about, uh, you know, not only just meditation and inner awareness but kind of human potential and growth was Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Mm. Yeah, me too. That was an awesome, awesome book. And Jonathan Livingston Siegel was a huge book when I was um, uh, young that I read Mm. that was really uh, inspiring. Was that Richard Bach? He uh, wrote a number of books. Yeah, I've read some of them. Great books. Um, And that was a real easy little read, but it just kind of, you know, awakened something in in a person about reaching beyond, uh, our perceived limits and, and certainly stepping into the realm of spirituality and energy awareness is stepping beyond a wall of a perceived limits, you mm-hmm. know, of, of what reality is. And, and we tend to peer to the, to the other side of, uh, what's going on that's unseen. And, and the idea that we c- would think that what everything we see consists, you know, is a hundred percent of reality, quote unquote, yeah. that, uh, that that constitutes reality and all we have to do is interact at that level um, really is is pretty small and limited to me. And, and one of the things I like about meditation and uh, psychic or energy exploration, awareness, exploration, consciousness is how big it is. It It's opening up to the field of possibility and the field of uh, what is unseen. And yet, uh, when you start to become aware of it, you start to realize that it actually has a huge energy. It's almost like dark matter. It's what makes yeah. up
1: most of the universe and we totally can't see it. That's how I always feel uh, right. with clairvoyance, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. or it's like the, the light spectrum that exists beyond what our physical eyes can see. There's this huge light spectrum, uh, energy spectrum that exists beyond what we can physically see. And... You know, for many years, nobody knew it existed, right, and it got discovered at some point and uh and we became awake and aware of it mm. and I think that's when I say I think we're in a spiritual uh awakening or renaissance, I think that's really what's happening is there's this huge uh arena that has gone unseen or or everybody has ignored or or even invalidated and said it just simply doesn't exist. Uh, that now is, we're waking up to it. We're evolving into a, a space of awareness of it. And now, what we're teaching and, and exploring, and a part of the conversation of, is how to interact with mm-hmm. it, how to make bring meaning to it, how to interpret mm-hmm. it, how to understand it, and how to to recognize the uh, the effects it has in our world. Whether it's learning to marshal our energy to create and manifest. Or learning to martial art energy in order to find uh, peace, inner peace, and uh, insight and and inner growth, right? Um, yeah, beautiful. It it has both sides, you know. It's got an internal aspect and an and an externalized aspect. Wow,
1: thank you, Cody, so much for sharing all that amazing wisdom. And if anybody, if any of you, want to explore Cody's teachings a little bit more. Uh, You could check out his website, which is intuitivevision.net, where you can uh, sign up for a live class or download some of the classes he's taught before. Uh, And he also has another website, right, Uh, mysticexplorers.com, where you can download some of your classes and also some other teachers. Other
0: teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of other. Yeah, we need to get you on that one now because you. You know, now that you have um dot com, which is you know, oh, really thank you for plugging mine. Take off, <laughs> yeah. But we got to get you on Mystic Explorers Absolutely. as well, because that's more of a a place for lots of teachers mm-hmm. to have their uh, share some of their different works.
1: Very cool, so, yeah. awesome. So, thank you so much, Cody. For thank you, David, coming and letting me interview you and. Um, For all of you out there, we'll see you in our next episode. Have an amazing, amazing time and meditate, enjoy yourself and enjoy the mystery. See you soon.
0: You've been listening to the Energy Matters Podcast with Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or soundcloud.com.